I want to be an actress. I'm thinking director. Yep, that's what I want to do. What's the difference between a DP and a cinematographer? What does a producer actually do? How do I get in? Who do I need to know? It's time to ask your questions. We're here for you. Welcome to 101, a podcast for young women interested in careers in film and TV. We'll sit down with industry professionals, ask them your questions, and get the answers you need to know. 101, it's It's a beginning. Hello, everybody. Welcome to 101. My name is Meredith Beach and my partner, Kate Forsets. We are so happy to be here with Tessa Monroe. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us what you do? I am an actor, first and foremost, but I also do voiceovers, dancing, choreography, hosting, and uh, martial arts. (laughs) Wow. I love the martial arts included in that. (laughs) Well, that comes into acting at times, right? It definitely does. Tessa, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, You are our first actor on our podcast, which is very exciting for us. How would you define your role? I am a puzzle piece in the storytelling process. I'm the one who's on camera and hopefully doing justice to the stakes in the story and to the writing. I serve the writer and the director as well, but, uh, but it first comes with the, the story and the characters and making them come to life. Can you walk us through sort of like, let's say you got a gig and you have uh, this role. What are your day-to-day responsibilities? Sure. Well, before being on set, I'm going to have to do a lot of work. It depends on the role. I might have to do research if it's, you know, um, like when I played a police detective, I did a lot of research on police format, but also like how to hold a gun and how to, and I also interviewed specifically my brother-in-law who happens to be a police detective, <laughs> you know, so I pick brains. <laughs> I love that. Um, and, and of course I have to learn my lines and intentions and really work on the material prior to being on set and then make sure I'm physically ready, depending on the physical demands on that particular role. Then I have a call time a call time for those not in the industry is not something you just call in. <laughs> it's not like that. It's when you show up. <laughs> And they check you in and they take you to hair and makeup generally. So you get your hair and makeup done. Your wardrobe is normally in your trailer. You've probably had a wardrobe fitting the day or a couple of days before you're on set. And then once you're on set, you need to be ready to go once the camera is rolling. You need to be relaxed. You need to be, because you're not going to be open to the scene, to what's happening in the scene if you're not relaxed. So it's so helpful to have been in scene study classes if you haven't been on set before, you know, and be used to performing when it's time to perform or do theater. And when the camera is, when you hear action, you got to be fully in that scene with the actors opposite you listening and reacting and letting it flow, hopefully, if things are going well. (laughs) That's excellent. Um, I think that was such a great, uh, day-to-day kind of breakdown. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit sure. because you said like, okay, so once I get my call time and I know that you said that you did a lot of prep before, but like what happens before that? So did you, like, how did you get the job? The audition process and so on. Most of the time. I mean, sometimes you're offered it, but, uh, but I'll go through the audition process. So either my agent or manager has sent me a notice with audition material And uh, most of the time now, because of the pandemic, it's 
self-tape from home auditioning. Sometimes it's also on Zoom or something called EcoCast, which is like Zoom. And I prepared that material at home and then I self-tape it. I audition from home. I have a whole lighting set up. So I have auditioned. I have sent in, uploaded my audition to an online website most of the time. Sometimes I'm supposed to send it to the my agent and they send it directly to casting. It depends. Sometimes it'll be just a straight offer, but oftentimes they're figuring out the exact shoot date. So you get something called in the theatrical world, TV and film, something called a pin. So they pin you. And so that means that you're kind of, they're kind of holding those dates because you're in the mix that you, you might be one of their choices and you don't know yet if you're their first choice or not. <laughs> and then in the, in the um, commercial world, they will put you on a veil, which is similar, just holding those dates for the possible shoot. And then uh, you've gotten the notice. I've gotten the notice that I booked it, woohoo! <laughs> uh, which is normally maybe a day later. Sometimes I've even gotten like an avail that morning and that night I'm already booked. Nice. So it depends. Wow. But sometimes, sometimes they keep you on a veil for a long time. That's kind of torturous. It's like being in purgatory and you don't know if you're going to heaven or not. <laughs> so like I've been, oh, there was one time I was on a veil for the most incredible commercial gig because it was $50,000 upfront for this job. <laughs> and I was on a veil for it for two torturous weeks only oh. to then find out they went oh, with the name. <laughs> like an already established I... celebrity. And I was like, ah, that would have made my benefits <laughs> for the year and so on. Yeah. Anyway, so that's how I get to the booking process generally, unless uh, it's someone that you've worked with before who's booking you directly and just saying, oh, I loved working with you on touch and such. Hey, are you interested in doing this part? And there we go. That's crazy. Like, I think that for anybody who's listening, um, it's sort of like a lesson for at-home auditions. You really do have to prep and make sure you're you're looking well the camera's in a decent you know resolution you have the lighting so that's that's huge it's been become very technical with self-taping you have to become everyone on set like you have to become a mini crew yes. on your own exactly and you have to know how to do your hair and makeup well like so you get the word from your agent or manager mm -hmm. that you have an audition so do they they send you material Yes. They send me the work? scenes. They're called the sides for those who, so the, the scenes that you do scene or scenes for that you do for an audition are called sides. So you immediately, and sometimes hopefully if, and depends on how much time you have to, they'll send you the full script depending on the size of the role so that you can be more informed about your character. Sometimes it's just, just the scene or scenes. And so you immediately start script analysis and breaking down the scene as to what, who your character is, who they are in relation to the other people in the scene, what they want in the scene, their intentions, and how they go about trying to get what they want. And that's how you attack it. And, and often lately, I've gotten a lot better at memorizing quickly because I've had to self-tape so much. I didn't used to do that when it was in person. It was a different beast. And you're also mm -hmm. spending time driving. And it was just a different time. It was just a different Wow. And you are allowed to have your sides, those, that paper, the scenes in your hand. Um, but these days, honestly, I just haven't been because especially with self-tape, if you do mess up a take, you can do another take mm -hmm. in the, in the auditioning room. If you lose yeah. your line for a moment, you can look down for a moment and it's there and you need it in your hand and that's fine. Yeah. That, so that, that's kind of like their pros and cons to self-tapes. Like there's Definitely. a lot more prep, uh, but you can also, you have a little more uh, control over what you the product, made, what you send. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. But then also sometimes you wish you had the casting director with you because they could say, oh, you know what? In this scene, you don't know this because you haven't read it, 
but this character is more blah, blah, blah. And you don't have that information when you're on your own in your home. So they're definitely pros and cons. Yeah, I do exactly. still prefer self-taping. I personally, because I don't want to drive across town and have to find a babysitter. And like, there's so many pieces uh, yeah. I can do it at home. I just have to bribe my children to be quiet. <laughs> there's a lot. To it. Do you do you practice your lines with anybody? Uh, with my husband, yes, and he's an actor as well, which is so helpful. So helpful. Yeah. There was one time though, this was in 2019. So he was on set uh, shooting late nights uh, and I had a quick turnaround that was due the next morning, uh, an audition. And it was only a few lines for a feature film. And my kids at the time were four years old. So they couldn't read yet. And, but one of them was able to memorize enough of the lines opposite me. (laughs) So, so he was playing my sick, my four-year-old at the time was playing a bride to be in a bridal shop, (laughs) his little voice. And he, he was able to feed me my cue lines and I booked the role (laughs) and I have kept that audition because it's just so cute hearing his little voice opposite me. And he's so proud too. He still talks about the fact that when he was four, he helped mama book a role. (laughs) The casting, the casting director must have loved hearing the little. I know. Yeah. (laughs) How did you know that you wanted to be an actor? Like how old were you? What was the situation? Was it like, oh oh my gosh, I want to do this like in an instant, or it was something that you always loved? Like, can you kind of share a little bit about sure so in first grade I was extremely shy as a kid so my teacher just thought there's this shy child and she without any kind of audition process assigned roles for the student for the class play and I was assigned a non-speaking tree role like I had to stand with my arms out and I was a freaking tree And I was so annoyed. I never, I never told her that I was too shy to say anything, but I remember being like, and I remember that Nina got the lead role. Nina. (laughs) I still remember her name. Bless her. I hope she's doing well. Anyway, (laughs) I haven't seen her since, but anyway, um, and my teacher assumed that I wouldn't want to speak on stage, but I so did. So I always knew I loved performing and I always did dance. So I knew I, I knew young that I loved acting, but I remember asking, I was seven years old when I asked my mom about like, how does somebody become an actor? And they said, oh, well, it's, it's a very unstable life and they get a lot of rejection. And, you know, and I understand why they said that, but I certainly subconsciously held on to that too much for too long. And uh, so I didn't major in theater in college. I majored in psychology, which I still loved and which still serves me within the theatrical world. But my senior year of college, I could take theater electives because I knew I loved it. And I didn't, I had finished all of my core classes and so on. And I did a one act play and um, in it, I did a, an Al Pacino uh, moment, like hoo type of thing within the structure of the piece. And I got a laugh. The audience laughed really hard. And I was like, it's what I have to do. Like, I cannot deny it any longer. <laughs> and so uh, that was like the absolute d- defining moment, even though I knew I'd loved stage and acting for years. And then after I graduated from, from college, I actually went into an acting studio program conservatory at, at the studio theater acting conservatory in Washington, DC. I formally 
continued to study it beyond the electives, the theater electives I'd taken in college. Was it an acting conservatory? Was it specific to a technique? Uh, what it was, was mainly that? Stanislavski based, but you did learn some about other methods, uh, not so much the method actually, but, but, but other techniques, I should say. <laughs> and I started hosting a PBS series called Standard Deviance out of the Washington DC area. I, I was a host for it. And I also did sketch comedy related to the educational material, which was really fun. And I learned to do all kinds of wacky characters and be free. And <laughs> we would put on wigs. And I mean, at one point I was in an outfit where I was a giant orange, like the fruit, you know, and, and my, or my orange talked like this, like my orange had a cold, even though she's made of vitamin C, but you know, and like the most random stuff. And it was, it was such a great learning experience. When did you realize that you needed an agent? Pretty quickly. Uh, out of DC, I got an agent and Philadelphia. I worked quite a bit out of Philly in the beginning. I should say also, I actually did my very first commercial when I was nine years old and I had one line in it and it was totally random. My good friend, her mother was in advertising agency and she hired me. She was like, I need, do you, or would you be interested in doing one line in a, it was a regional commercial for the International Children's Festival at Wolf Trap in the Northern Virginia cool. area. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And it was that commercial was with um, the original Julie McCoy from The Love Boat, Lauren Tweez. And I was like, I have made it because I am in a commercial with Julie McCoy from The Love Boat. <laughs> I was so excited. And she was so sweet. And I was paid $1, $1 in cash. <laughs> so it was really about the experience. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because it kind of leads me to another question. Cause I know that in this industry, we've talked to a lot of other creatives in different roles. Um, and they talk a little bit about earning a living doing what they do. Like, how do you decide on what projects you're going to take? And do you say no ever? Do you ever have something come across your desk and you're like, no. Yes. Yes, I say no sometimes. It, 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 and you have to set your boundaries, whether it's regarding, it's so personal and it's so such a, an intuitive thing. You have to listen to your gut, whether it's you're uncomfortable with a certain level of nudity or a certain type of material, or I turn down auditions if the script, the writing is really bad. I just can't. I just, this is just horrible writing. Like, no, thank you. Pass. I just, I can't, it, it's, it hurts my spirit. If you're just starting out and you want a credit, yeah, go ahead and take the $200 a day job that's poorly written just to get experience. So it all depends. It's a very personal decision. Is there some, like a pay range that you can sort of divulge um, for somebody starting out? You did mention $200 for- I'm trying you to know think us. what the ultra low budget rate right now, which is scale for those who don't know is the base rate for a union job. I'm talking about union jobs, which is in the professional, like to be a professional, you have to be in the union SAG-AFTRA. So I think it's 206 a day for ultra low budget right now. And that's the lowest, but there's also micro budget pro projects now. Uh, and then it goes up from there for like say a co-star, which is generally a few lines on camera for TV right now is $1,056 minimum for the day. And then uh, the minimum for a one day guest star, unless it went up in July, it's 1500 for the day. Um, mm -hmm. And then depending on if it's a half hour 
program, if you're doing a sitcom, the guest star, it's what is it for a full guest star for the week? It's like just under 6,000. And if you're doing a drama, it's 9,000 something for the week for a guest star. I know every, every job is different. So we really appreciate your transparency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, I mean, we've said this to all of our guests, but we're really trying to destigmatize talking about money, especially as women, but also as creatives. Cause I feel like creatives always have <laughs> hard time talking about money. Very vulnerable people. We'll talk about anything else, but I think when it comes to money, like we just like, uh. I was offered two jobs at the same time a year ago, last October, which was such a bummer because I had to turn one down. I had already just said yes to one, which was a wonderful job. But for the when the offer came in, I mean, within, it was less than 24 hours apart, the two offers. And I was like, what? It's been a pandemic. I haven't had work for so long. And then I got two good offers and I have to turn one down. But the second one that came in, that casting director is a real advocate for actors. And he secretly, I will not say who it is on purpose, but he secretly emailed me and said, you can ask for more money, <laughs> like, which was really nice. But that's the job I had to turn down because I had already said yes to the other one, you know, but I was like, that's really cool. You know, that's so incredible. sometimes they really yeah. have your back and you, your agent should try to negotiate, especially if you have a good amount of experience under your belt. So Tessa, can you just like walk us through, like, how did you get an agent? Like, you know, you graduated from school and how do you get an agent? And then like, where do casting people fit in? I think our listeners would love to know more about that and like step-by-step step kind of how it works. So, I mean, back when I first got an agent, it was when you would mail your headshot and resume <laughs> saying I'm open to representation and would you like to meet? And then I met with them and so on. This was back East, you know, but since then there are so many different ways. The The best and easiest way is if you end up having a friend or knowing someone who knows an agent who can refer you to them, or if you are friends with a casting director who can refer you, but that's doesn't happen very often when you're starting out. So um, you emailing them too, emailing them directly and not just saying, say something interesting about yourself that makes you unique and how you might fit into their roster, take in what, what kind of clients are they representing? Yep. Make it also about them, be interested in them too. And also there are workshops or um, showcases, that's the word I'm looking for, for agent showcases and managers that legit managers and agents attend. I have a friend who actually runs some and he, during the pandemic, it's been online. And I have a different friend who got a good agent from doing one of those showcase nights, you know, where you do a monologue or a scene even on Zoom. So there are ways to get agents, but you have to have an energy that you have to know you have something to give because if you're going there, like as the needy actor that we all have some neediness in this, but if you go with that front, they're going to feel that energy and be turned off and forget about it. You know? So you have to, you have to be ready to know that you have a gift. You have to be honing, having honed your craft and still be doing so be in scene study class, be in audition technique class. And know that you have something to give when you're presenting yourself to agents. I love that. I think that, you know, when you're just starting out, you, you're like, I'll take whatever, but then, right, you right. know, just the way you framed it as like knowing that you have value and you have something to bring to the table as well is really helpful for, for our listeners to remember, because it's very intimidating when you're starting any job, any career, and you're like, uh, please give me a chance. But, you know, going in there with a level of confidence, I think that's such a wonderful thing for them to, to remember. 
and also seeing it as a partnership, like being interested, like you said, in what they do. Find happiness in things other than just acting, because otherwise you're going to feel frustrated and get burnt out too quickly. And it's still, your life is happening. And I did too much of this, making it too much about acting. And then the rest of your life, you're not enjoying it enough. You have to find joy in every day. And when you carry that energy into your acting, it will be reciprocated more. What is the best part about your job? There's so many best parts. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, in the immediate is when you're connecting with another person in the scene, that human connection, when you really get to that human connection and it moves you in the scene or it, it just makes you feel alive in the scene. That's one of the best parts. I can't narrow it down to just one because then there's also the best part of the audience being moved, whether it's through laughter, through tears, through thought. What would you say is the most difficult part of your job? The rejection, the level of hope that you have and disappointments and so many of them. Maybe you won't, maybe you'll have less than I have. And I hope that for you. And I want you, whoever's listening to feel like they're the exception to that rule of frustration. But, uh, but speaking from just my personal experience thus far, and this year in particular, I've had a lot bigger auditions than I've ever had before. Like really big, like where I got it and was like, wow, yes, this is exactly who I want to be opposite on the big screen. I adore this actor, you know? Only to find out it goes to a name. Like there's one audition in particular, they've already shot it and I know who got the role. And that audition, I still look at it sometimes just because it brings me joy because I had so much fun doing it and I was so free and I was so proud of myself because of the level it was, because it was opposite two of the biggest names you could ever know. And that movie's coming out this Christmas. And actually after that movie's out, I might actually just post my audition because I just enjoyed it. And if somebody else can too, great. Because I was so excited to get that level of audition and I've had a lot of those, but then they end up being an even more of a disappointment when it, if it doesn't come through. So it's been a really strange, strange year. And it's also be so because I did a recurring guest star credit on an Apple TV show that I shot in November and December of last year. And that was opposite um, Octavia Spencer and Kate Hudson. And once I had that on my resume and then also got the footage when it, once it aired, mm -hmm. It got, it gave me a new level of auditions, which has been fabulous, but it's also like a new level of <laughs> extra disappointments in some ways. Things, I mean, things are still going in the right direction for sure. And I'm really glad I've gotten a lot of VO work recently that I've had a lot of fun with. So it's really, when they say you need the skin of a rhinoceros, that's way too thin of a skin. <laughs> that's way too thin. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned a couple times, and I think it's something that's important for our listeners to know, um, because it actually happened to me as well. Um, but you said that you lost, you lost a role and you're, or you, they, they went in a different direction. They went with a name. What does that mean? Somebody that is a household name that's already a celebrity. And that's happened to me, oh my gosh, way more time. And I've been pinned for those roles. Like I'm their second choice. <laughs> like I've been... Like I've had a lot of pin and pins the past six months that didn't go my way. And those are so hard because you have so much hope when you get pinned because you know they really like you. <laughs> and then there was another time I shot a film in Nigeria in 2011 and Denise Richards was originally cast in the role. And then something happened with her contract, whatever, she backed out. So they went with people they auditioned. 
and I got the role. <laughs> and it was such an amazing experience. But I need that to happen more. I need the- <laughs> but look, your name is circling, your your face is circling, like it, they know that you exist, like you're there, you're great. Casting you're- has been, yeah. yeah, there's certain casting offices in particular this year that have brought me in over and over. So I know they like what I'm doing and they I yeah. know they know me now, you yeah. know? So that's really nice, but it just needs to turn into the the big gigs. The job. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's exciting though. There's an actor named Wendy Braun. She's wonderful and does a workshop that she leads. And one of her mantras is the right roles are on their way to me. So I say that to myself all the time. I love that. Yeah. And you mentioned that um, you get, you can do other types of jobs to help, you know, either pay the bills or boost your career. And you mentioned doing VO work. Um, so for anybody who's listening, you know, it's not just one job. You can use your talents for all sorts of different positions that we have in this industry. Right. Yeah. Kate, do you want to ask the, uh, the big one? I hope we're talking about the same question because not an earthquake. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is one of the main reasons why we started this podcast, because I I think we want our listeners to think about this. Tessa, what do you think needs to change in the industry? There's still, we're slowly moving in the right direction, but there still needs to be more opportunities for women. You're saying the industry, so not just for actors, but there are still more roles for men. If you're talking about the roles and then still more crew positions for men, not close to the breakdown of the amount of women and men in the regular population or who are seeking roles. I mentioned to you two before the tape was recording that the past two years, I have worked with six women directors and that's rare and it shouldn't be rare. And it's great and it's wonderful, including one for uh, for VO earlier this week, but it needs to continue to be in crew positions, directors of photography, uh, assistant camera, whatever roles they want to be in, composers and people with different backgrounds. And and it is, it's slowly moving in that direction. It is, but yeah, it can, sure. it can move. we can move that needle more and more quickly. Okay, um, Meredith, you get the fun question. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite film of all time or some film that made you want to get into this industry? My favorite film of all time so far is The Shawshank Redemption. It just moved me so deeply. That and you know what's funny? I've never I, I said this before. Rudy moved me so deeply years ago. Like they were the first two movies that really moved me like sobbing. Shawshank, I think anytime that I see it's on, I have to I have to see the end. Me too. I know what happens. (laughs) I also have a real affinity for inmates. I've done work with nonviolent felons on parole and probation. I did a field placement in college. And then um, right before the pandemic hit, actually in January of 2020, I went to a prison in Chinchilla, in in California, uh, and went to do a workshop, an intensive through an organization called Freedom to Choose. And um, those women, I it's they're human beings and they're not treated as such. And it drives me nuts. And I'm such an advocate for what we call the residents there, you know? So anyway, but I didn't even know I had an affinity for that when I saw Shawshank Redemption, but that's part of like who I am. My mom has done a lot of ministry with, with people in prison as well. And it's just part of me. Side note, <laughs> you might edit that out. That's fine. <laughs> No, I think that's such a huge part of who you are as an artist. So thank you for sharing that with us. Tessa, this is so much fun speaking with you and getting to know you a little bit better. We hope that all the listeners enjoyed as well. This is 101. It's a beginning.